Well, for those on the um, internet live streaming, you'll have to understand that uh, this evening it's quite different in that I do have faces to look at at my right and left. So if I'm not looking at the camera, uh, more like uh, 95% of the time it's because I can see real people. And uh, we were told when we were first meeting in the auditorium with only a handful of people that we shouldn't mention that every week, that there are only five people here. So I'm not going to say this again, but it's good to have more than five people here. Uh, Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our COVID quarantine family seminar. And we'll read verses 18 through 21 and then turn over again to Ephesians and read the parallel passage. Now, I'm used to uh, preaching in the Philippines with wind, with fans blowing on my notes. So you have a pen and you clip it on your Bible for those who may be in such circumstances in the future. All right, Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. Then we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and read the first four verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we will take up verse 21 of Colossians 3, paired with Ephesians 6, 4. Two very brief verses, but an awful lot packed into them when we expand and expound and try to uh, explain what is contained therein. And so let's ask for God's help that in expanding on these verses, we would not expand beyond Scripture, but stay within the bounds of Scripture as we apply what God's will is for families. Let's ask His help then. Our Father in heaven, we come before you, conscious of our own sin, of our own failings. You are our Father who is in heaven. You have compassion on your children. You would not give them a snake instead of a fish or a stone instead of bread. You are a good Father to us and we praise you and we honor you and we love you for your love and compassion and mercy to us. And we ask that you would help the fathers among us especially to be holy as you are holy, to be perfect as you are perfect, to walk in steps of imitation of you, our great and good, merciful, kind, benevolent Father, that we would be the same toward our children, even as you discipline us as not just seems right to us, but as is truly, genuinely good for us. Help us to be the same toward our children. And so we ask for your help, we ask for wisdom as we delve into the scriptures and seek to expound and explain and expand upon these very short verses. If there's anything 
added that is not according to your word. Blow it away as the wind is blowing our hair and our notes. Blow away anything that is not from you. And cause your word to take deep root in our hearts. We ask through Jesus our Savior. Amen. Now as we continue this evening, especially focusing now on the duties of fathers, we've seen that this is stated negatively here in Colossians and at first there in Ephesians as well. It says in Colossians again, Fathers, do not exasperate, do not provoke your children that they may not lose heart. We're picking up really in the middle of a sermon because last Lord's Day I began to expound that verse and expand upon it. And so uh, because of time constraints I had to end more or less in the middle of that explanation. We'll pick it up and carry it on this evening. So I'm going to have to give a brief review. But before I do that, uh, I want to say a word about the importance of this topic. Especially in the light of events in recent days in our country in the United States of America. I said, I believe it was last Lord's Day, that the family is a vital building block of society. And when the family crumbles, we see society crumble. Parents need to teach and model biblical truth to their children. Children need loving instruction. They need parental pictures of tender care. They need their parents to model before them obedience to authority and proper loving authority. And without this, society crumbles as we see in our day. No amount of liberal double talk will replace it. The village will not teach your children how to obey. And the village will not teach them what proper, godly, loving, caring authority is. We see that around us. We need godly, God-honoring Christian homes where the Word is loved and taught and lived. And that's our desire as we go through this series. And so, what have we seen so far? And then we'll pick up where we're going forward. We saw last week, and I want to say it again. We do have some uh, young people here. A word to the kids. You know it. Your dads are not perfect. Right? Well, don't you don't have to say amen. You know that's a fact. And we know it. Because our dads were not perfect, and we know that we are not perfect. But that's no excuse not to obey. That's no excuse to take up arms of rebellion just because they're not perfect and they don't always live what they say. Children, obey your parents. Of course, we went into exceptions. I mentioned exceptions when they're totally uh, dishonoring to God, when they're commanding things that are against God's will. Uh, But that's the exception. And we're talking to Christian families as we speak here. Now, the second thing I said last week was, what does it mean to provoke children? We considered the statements that we've read here in Ephesians and Philippians. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't exasperate them so that they lose heart. Don't make it so that they don't want to stay in your home anymore, that they're fed up. Now, how does this happen? And that's where uh, the bulk of our time is spent. And we saw several ways last Lord's Day. We saw that parents provoke their children to anger, first of all, by neglect. Uh, 
the absentee father, the father who gives a busy signal and doesn't pay any attention to his children. That will provoke them. That will dishearten them. We saw secondly, under discipline, no rules. Kids get away with anything. That's not good for children. That is a way of provoking them ultimately to rebellion as well as uh, losing heart. Over discipline where everything is wrong and you can't do anything right. That is a way to provoke them. Too many rules. Inconsistent discipline. It's okay today, it's not okay tomorrow. And vice versa. That's a way to provoke children. Physical abuse certainly will provoke children. Verbal abuse where the child is told repeatedly how stupid and worthless he is or she is. And then favoritism as we saw with Abraham's uh, children, not his own children, but Isaac, then Jacob. Uh, repeated pattern in the scriptures. And this gave rise to unfair comparison and then unbiblical expectations where the child is always a failure because he can never measure up to what his parents expect. Well, now we're going to move on from there. That's what we saw last week. And I, I again, I had to mention them. I don't like long reviews, so I won't give any more. You can look up the sermon from last week. But I want to carry on because there are more ways to provoke children than you can shake a stick at. And the next one is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in parents will cause children to be provoked, to be angry, and to lose heart. And a key text here is Luke chapter 12, and so Pastor Chansky dealt with this about five years ago or so. Uh, Luke chapter 12. And verse 1, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitudes had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, notice he says this to his disciples, not just to the crowd, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The Lord Jesus said that the Pharisees were fond of saying, but not doing. Hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocritical parent. You tell your children not to do something, but then you do it yourself. Not only because it's bad for your kids, but it's bad for you. The Pharisees were not spoken of very highly in the scriptures. Woe to you, Pharisees. Hypocrites, Jesus said. And the woe is a woe of judgment and damnation. To carry a name but not have reality is a way to hell. And what does this lead to in a family? It leads to a double standard where things uh, are wrong for the kids, but they see mom and dad doing it. That's a double standard. It's okay for us, but it's not okay for you. And the child asks himself... Why is it okay for you if it's wrong for me? They want the kids to repent and confess their sins, but they don't do it. They want their kids to tell the truth and not lie, but they lie. And the the children see that what their parents do, 
And it's obviously disobeying the very thing that they told their children. An illustration here, one author tells a story about a man whose son complained to him about having another boy in his class in school stealing his pencils out of his pencil case. And it was a bigger child, and so the boy couldn't do anything about it. He just had to come home and ask his mom to buy him some more pencils on a regular basis. And uh, so this boy, this father, went to the boy's father. Okay, okay, so dad goes to the dad and tells his son's classmate's father about the problem. And this father then says, oh, well... Ought to straighten that out. It's not the cost of the pencils, really. Uh, well, I take them home from the office anyway, but uh, it's the principle of the thing. Well, wait a minute. He tells them that he's stealing the pencils, so what's the big deal? The, it's the principle. Is he communicating the principle to the son when he himself is stealing them from the office? That's what I'm talking about, hypocrisy. That will provoke children. Or when you go to church, pray at meals, but your kids hear you swear, take the Lord's name in vain, lose your temper, never open your Bible during the week, they will think religion is just a sham. They will think Christianity is just something for Sunday and it doesn't really affect you. And they will turn off the preacher when he preaches at church because that's what they see you do. Make your religion, make Christianity, make the Lord Jesus a vital part of your life day by day. And let your kids see it. Let them hear you pray for them. Now, none of us is perfect. We sadly have to confess our sins before God. But do you confess them before your children? Of course, God knows that you're not perfect. Your children know as well. If you don't confess your sins to your children, what happens? Well, of course, the devil is telling you, if you confess your sins to your children, they will lose respect for you. It's a shameful thing to have to confess your sins to your children. uh, How can I do that? They won't look up to me anymore. On the contrary. If you don't confess your sins to your children and they see them, they think you're a hypocrite. And your religion, all the talk about confessing sin, all the talk about repentance is just talk. But if you go to them, when you've lost your temper... Ask them to forgive you. When you say something that was not right, when you acted not on the basis of truth, and you find out, and you have to ask their forgiveness, then they say, this religion is real. And this business of asking forgiveness of sin, my dad does it. It's not a sham. It's not just for show. It's not just preacher talk on Sunday. And so, brethren, do not be hypocrites before your children. Again, you're not perfect. And they know that. Let them see you ask 
for forgiveness from your wife, from them, from God. That's genuine, true Christianity. But then another thing, and we're on to number 11 in my list, another thing which will cause children to lose heart and be angered or embittered, and that is an unloving climate in the home. Now, there's some overlap with all of these things. I I trust you'll pardon me, but I believe this is worth mentioning on its own. A house in which there is strife and fighting and arguing will frustrate them and make them want to leave home as soon as possible. Don't let the kids squabble continuously. I think I've mentioned, I would say to my kids, do you want to live in a home where there's fighting? Or do you want to live in a home where there's peace and love? Which is it? Well, that's a no-brainer. Don't let them get away with squabbling continually. But parents don't squabble. Now, of course, you have disagreements. There's no married couple on the face of this earth that that agrees 100% about everything. But when you disagree, do it in a civil, mature way. And you can even do that in front of your kids, but don't squabble. A home where there's the atmosphere is a miasma of foul air, where there's uh, this continual strife. Who wants to live with that? It's not healthy. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. You can turn there. I'm not going to turn because my Bible's going to blow, but I'll just read it from my notes. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Verse 17, better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A home where there's turmoil, it may be rich. A term where there's hatred, it may have an ox on the table. I will trade that any day for a home where there's love and just vegetables. Maybe only a little few vegetables at that. Proverbs 17 and verse 1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Don't make your kids happier to go to the neighbor's house to have a dish of squash and succotash rather than the roast beef and potatoes that you have filled with squabbling around the table. They would rather go where maybe the food's not the best, but the atmosphere is sweet. Don't let it happen in your home. Now, a related condition, a related matter that would cause your children uh, to lose heart, be exasperated, is when, when parents are not obeying what was said to fathers and uh, to husbands and wives. Because that's a form of hypocrisy, of course. But where the mother never submits, wears the pants around the house, as it were, where the fathers don't display love. They tell the children, stop fighting, love each other. But they (laughs) obviously don't display practical love to the mother. It makes a home where there's strife. So there's hypocrisy, but there's strife. I know a family in the Philippines, thankfully not in our church, 
where the mother and the father were, were at odds, fighting, uh, even to the point where I, I heard the story, uh, where, <clears throat> where the one took out a knife to pull on the other. The husband was something like a self-centered teenager. The wife was a quarrelsome shrew. And as far as I know, the three children are now adults. None of them has been converted. Even bitter against God and against His Word. Mom and Dad, do your part. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Do your roles as good examples to your children that they not be frustrated, exasperated, and lose heart. Lastly, I I hesitated to mention this. I almost left it out, but I found it in two two commentators. And that is the matter of not providing what is needful for the children. Now we live in a day of plenty here in this country and uh, it's I think perhaps the exception rather than the rule where the children would not be given what they need. It would probably be more the opposite of being overindulged. But there are cases. There are cases and we know of them in our society where children go to school with an empty belly. I trust that's not the case in Christian homes. But children are to be provided for. In fact, we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Providing for your own, for your own family giving them what is needful. Now, what is that? Well, it doesn't mean that you give them the best of everything. It doesn't mean that they're spoiled by having uh, everything that the neighbor's kids have. But that which is sufficient, again, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Food doesn't have to be a fattened ox. It could be vegetables, right? Eat your vegetables. Food and covering. What's covering? Well, a roof over your head and clothes on your body. Food and covering. Now, you, if you've read uh, Ted Tripp's book on um, how not, excuse me, I'm mingling my titles, uh, Shepherding Your Child's Heart. You know that he speaks there. He tells a story about a kid who uh, was complaining to his dad because his dad bought him sneakers that were not the best, not the latest, not the kid, the type that all the other kids wore. Dweeby sneakers. Well, maybe you got dweeby sneakers. We got sneakers. Food and covering, and so maybe. Okay, we'll be understanding, we'll be sensitive to our sons who might have to wear those sneakers. But, come on kids, there are a lot of other things that you could complain about. Be thankful for what you have. Food and covering, but not providing for your children is a way to provoke them. What do we read of in Matthew 7? I actually quoted this in my prayer earlier. What man is there among you, Matthew 7 verse 9, who when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? 
If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Now, if even evil fathers give their children fish and bread, what would we say of fathers who don't even give their children that? They're worse than evil. And so, not providing what is needful for your children is a way of provoking them. So there I've given you, if I've got it right, 13 items. And, you know, the list could be expanded, but I was trying to stick especially to those things which are clear in Scripture for which I could give a scriptural warrant. And kids, you know, you might come to me after this and have complaints. Well, you know what my dad did that provoked me? I, I would just say to you, okay, show me that in the book. Is that really a big deal? If it's not in the book, if it's not really against God's law, then I would say, eh, get over it and be thankful for what you have. Now, I mentioned last week as I gave a, a heads up on the outline that I wanted to move on to how to avoid then. If these are the things that provoke kids to anger, that make them bitter and exasperated, how can we avoid doing that? Well, <laughs> first of all, and I think it's plain, stop doing these things, these 13 things. And you say, how to do that? Well, just think about it. Let's just briefly go through the, that list again. How do you avoid neglecting your children? Well, don't neglect them. Spend time with them. Put it in your schedule. You know, I, I find that it's very easy for me to get busy doing things and then forget those other things that I should have done. I had an online doctor's appointment this past week, and so I had my alarm go off a half hour early, and then tw 20, 10 minutes before it was supposed to happen, I, okay, I looked at my watch, I had 10 more minutes, and I started reading something, and a half hour later, which is 20 minutes late, I remembered. So I missed the appointment. And so what I'm trying to say is, it's very easy for us to get busy doing things and miss the things that we must do. Don't let it happen with you and your children. Put it into your schedule. Have a check on it. Ask your wife maybe, do you think I'm spending enough time with the kids? Well, if you're so busy with your hobbies and with all your other things, you're not spending enough time with them. I think I've mentioned from that pulpit, not this one, uh, that the one sermon I remember as a child, and this is going, this is probably about 14 years worth of being in church. I remember one sermon, and that pricked up my ears as a child when the pastor said, for children, love is spelled T-I-M-E. I said, yeah. I get that. Fathers, do you get it? Your kids get it. Spend time with your kids. Turn off the busy signal. Under discipline. Part of the time you spend with your kids is going to be, sadly, disciplining, correcting. And that's what Ephesians 6.4 talks about as well. Bring them up in the nurture, the admonition, that's verbal correction of the Lord. Training, child training. You need to teach them. You need to model for them. 
Don't under-discipline them. Give them guidelines. Give them boundaries. Kids need boundaries. Fathers do it. Over-discipline. Don't give them a rule so that every way they turn there's another boundary. They'll be paralyzed. Don't over-discipline them. Don't be inconsistent. I remember uh, when I was here at Trinity Ministerial Academy, one winter session, we had an older saint, Dr. Robert Rudolph from Philadelphia, come and teach us for uh, one session, or one month on apologetics. And I remember him quoting, and I don't know where, nobody knows where the quote came from, but his father used to say to him, Ah, consistency, thou art a jewel. And uh, I remember him saying that. Consistency is a jewel. Well, you know what? None of us is consistent. There's one who is consistent. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, sons of Jacob, are not consumed. It is only the Lord who is completely consistent. But he tells us in Matthew 5, 48, Therefore you are to be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. That means we're to strive to be consistent in our dealing with our children. Inconsistency, that's not a jewel. How about physical abuse? You need to pray for the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I know that one common complaint of men is a, is a struggle with anger. If you're a man given to temper, I ask this, when they, if a man would confess that to me, I ask him, do you pray about it every day? That God would give you patience, that God would make you slow to anger, long-suffering. Now, I need to add here, and again I'm speaking generally to Christian families, but I still need to add this. If there is a case of genuine physical abuse, I'm not talking about loving discipline, there's a, a... world of difference between loving application of biblical child discipline, the use of the rod in love and according to the word of God, that's miles removed from physical abuse. Neither we as pastors, neither we as a church, neither God or his word gives any warrant for abusing a child, physical abuse. But it's the sad reality in our day that that takes place. It may need to be reported to the proper authorities and dealt with. Because there are laws in this state that deal with that matter. Again, I'm not talking about biblical, loving, child discipline. Miles apart from physical abuse. Verbal abuse. You need to pray about that if that's your problem. Construct a bridle for your tongue. There's a series of messages by Pastor Martin on that very subject. How to construct a bridle for your tongue. If a man has a great profession of religion, but he does not bridle his tongue, James says his religion is vain. Don't be like the men that David speaks of who have sharpened their tongue like a sword and aimed bitter speech as their arrow. Don't let that be the testimony of your children 
about the way they speak of you. If you want a reference, that was Psalm 64 and verse 3. Pray, plead with God to bridle your tongue. Favoritism. Remember the tragedy in the families of Isaac and Jacob. Remember that all your children are made in God's image. Look at them in their precious individuality. You know, it's interesting to me, in our family, uh, our children, those of you who know our family, were evidently different. uh, Because one is a Filipina who's adopted, very much loved, and she is probably listening. Very different. But you know, even children that come from the same genetic pool, same background, same two parents, physically, can be so different. Rejoice in that difference and see them in their individual gifts and abilities and don't play favorites. And if it's that kind of favoritism that I told you of last week where my sister and I were both convinced that the other was the favorite, well, be that as it may. But we knew really that it wasn't true. Don't play favorites. Unfair comparison. Don't do that to the kids. Or your sisters and your brother. Don't go there with your children. Appreciate them for who they are, not what they aren't. Unbiblical expectations. Don't pressure your kids to be what they're not. Whether it is you want them to be uh, the sports star, the basketball champion on the team, or you want them to be uh, the best in music, and they don't have that talent. Unbiblical expectations. Hypocrisy. And here we're coming to those things that we dealt with especially earlier. For your own souls. Don't. Be a fake. Be for real. And come before the Lord Jesus confessing who you are. He knows it all together. Tell your children as well. They know your failures. Don't be a fake. Be for real in your Christianity. Be for real in your plea for forgiveness in your confession of sin. Be for real in your trust in the cleansing blood of Jesus that washes away all our sin. Be for real. Don't let your home have an unloving climate. This should be your one of your great goals, parents. That love would reign in your homes. By the blessing of God on His Word, as you raise your children, as you love your wife, may love be the climate in your home. Work on your relationship with your wife so that that is the pattern of love in your home. Don't force your children out of the home into the corner of the roof where it's better to live than to have squabbling all the time. Parents, fulfill your roles. Go back to those sermons if you need to. And provide for your own. These are tough times. And we acknowledge that some have lost jobs because of this whole coronavirus uh, situation. But do your best. And there are deacons. uh, You could come to elders. There are wise men in this church who could give you career counseling. 
to help you find gainful employment even in such times. And, but remember, better is a dish of vegetables where love is. Kids, do you believe that? Even if it's squash and succotash? Better is a dish of vegetables where love is. You don't want a home where the atmosphere is poisonous to your souls. Give them love even if they have to just eat vegetables. And I've said this all the way through. So correct those errors. But then secondly, and I've said it again all the way through, but confess to God and confess to your family your failings and ask them to pray for you and pray together as a family. Maybe you need to have a family powwow after these sermons and say, where do we need to go to have a happy family? What do we need to work on? And pray together as a family. And then thirdly, trust in God for His grace. Remember, parents, <laughs> there's no such thing as a perfect parent here on earth. There's one perfect Father, and that's our Father in Heaven. We all, those of us who are older, can look back with regret, with chagrin, with pain of heart at the things that we did which we should not have done, and the things we didn't do, and it's too late to go back. We can't undo what we did, and we can't do what we didn't do when we should have. But you know, here's the blessed thing. God's grace is sufficient. And God has told us He is able to make up for the years that the locusts have eaten. And maybe the locusts chewed up years of your kids' lives, and it's gone! And you can't go back. But God's grace is sufficient. You can go to them. You can ask their forgiveness. You can tell them you blew it and you wish you hadn't. And you can tell them, don't do what I did. But God's grace is sufficient. You can tell them of God's grace. And I didn't preach these sermons so that all the older fathers among us would go home and weep because it's you blew it. Because there's a fountain opened for sin and uncleanness. And we can go to the fountain and we can plunge ourselves in and wash ourselves clean. It doesn't undo the consequences. But it is a great relief when we consider the day of judgment. That there's a pardon for sin. And when we consider that God is able to work in spite of, to overcome all of those things which we did wrong in the lives of our children. Go to Him. Go to the fountain for grace. And kids... Let me say to the children, young people, you know, we're all kids in a way, because we all have parents. But when you think of your own parents, what's the first thing you think of? When you think of your parents, is it, well, my dad did this to me, my mom did that. Is it negative? Is it harsh? Is it judgmental? Is it angry? You know what? There are a lot of kids out there. That's the first thing that comes to their mind when they think of their parents. What my dad did to me. 
And you hear it. Maybe that's you that I'm talking to right now. Your parents aren't perfect. Maybe they blew it big time. But let me tell you something else. You're not perfect either. They need grace and forgiveness and pardon. And so do you. And if you spend your life in bitterness about what they did to you, you're going to ruin your life. What you need is, first of all, yourself to taste the forgiveness and pardon of God to cleanse your soul and flush that bitterness out. And then you need to forgive them and not just keep going back over and over again what they did to you. That's going to lead you to misery, bitterness of soul and keep you from God. Bring it to God confess it that is your it's your own bitterness ask his forgiveness and ask him to change your heart and make you new god's grace is sufficient for that let me say in the fourth place what you need to do the third thing was remember grace the fourth thing is pray and when you've done that pray and when you've done that pray some more Pray for you, pray for your wife, pray for your kids, pray for your whole family. Things that are impossible with God, with man are possible with God. And, and maybe you think, you know, it's hopeless. My family situation, it, it's too far gone. There's no way. With God, no word is without power. Nothing is impossible for Him. He made the heavens and the earth by His great power with a word. He can deal with your sin and with your family. Things, of course, some consequences can't be undone. But where there is life, where there is ability to communicate, there is opportunity for grace. And before we close, I want to say one more thing to our friends. Some of you don't know this Savior that I've talked about, this fountain open for sin and uncleanness. And going through this series on the family has been for you painful because it has revealed to you your sin and your failure. When you think about your family and you think about your being a parent and you think about your being a wife or husband and you think, man, I blew it. That's, that's reality. But again, this Bible deals with reality. It deals with the mess we're in. And it deals with it through the grace and the merit and the death and the victory of Jesus Christ over sin. You cannot go back and undo the, the mistakes you made. But God's grace, the blood of the Lord Jesus, can forgive and pardon and cleanse and renew. And He can take your messed up family, He can take you and turn you around. And He says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And as we close tonight, you know, I, I ask myself when I preach, why are you preaching this sermon? And it's not just because this is what I get paid for. 
when I preach, I have something to say to men and women and boys and girls, young and old. What I want to say tonight is, well, I preach this because it's in the Bible. This is how families ought to be. And the mess we're in in America is because families aren't this way. I mean, you know that. I want to see at Trinity Baptist Church every family, one in which there's a happy home, a godly home, with happy, happy, obedient children, not sullen, obedient children, with loving parents, not lashing their kids with their tongues, tender, not trashing. Caring, not rending and tearing. Engaged, not enraged. Happy homes. One of my favorite hymns about the family in our hymnal, I didn't write down the number, but I printed it in my notes. Happy the home when God is there and love fills every breast when one their wish and one their prayer and one their heavenly rest. Happy the home when Jesus' name is sweet to every ear, when children early lisp his fame, and parents hold him dear. Religion's not just for the kids to go off to Sunday school. Happy the home where prayer is heard, and praise is wont to rise. I mean, it usually rises. It happens all the time. When parents love the sacred word that makes us truly wise. And then this hymn ends with a prayer. Lord, let us in our homes agree this blessed peace to gain. Unite our hearts in love to Thee and love to all will reign. It is my desire. And we have to recognize not everybody's there. But it is my desire that every family at Trinity Baptist Church would know the reality of this happy home where children early would lisp the fame of Jesus not just mouthing words but come in their hearts early to know him to trust him and to love him as a family children obeying their parents this is right it's pleasing in the Lord fathers not exasperating provoking their children but raising them lovingly tenderly pointing them to the Savior may God bless our church with such families may God bless our town our country our society our world and it's only going to happen When the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has influence in the hearts and lives of men and women, boys and girls. When people are converted by the power of the Spirit working by the word. And so brethren here that are gathered, those who are on the internet, let's pray to that end. Let's pray that families in our church would know this blessedness 
and that the neighbors would see it and ask us a reason for the hope that's in us. Let's come to God as we close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet, a guide to our path. It shows us the way of life. You, O Lord Jesus, have the words of life. Where can we go to get such words? You have the words of pardon, of acceptance, of peace with your Father, peace with you. Only through the shed blood of the cross of Calvary. Not through our works, not through our doing, not through our dying, not through our suffering, but only what you have done, Lord Jesus. We thank you that your gospel is a life-changing gospel. That all who are in you, in Christ Jesus, are new creatures. We ask that you would do that work, continue that work of sanctification in those who have already put their faith in you. Work in fathers that they might avoid these snares of provoking their children. Work in our children that they would come to genuine faith. That they would find that the way of the world is the way of death. It's the way of misery. But the way of the Savior is the way of life. Is the way of genuine joy and peace. Oh Lord, have mercy on the families at Trinity Baptist Church. Where there is strife in homes, heal it. Oh Lord, use this word tonight to bring genuine repentance where there are homes with strife. Where there are children who are provoked and embittered. Oh Lord, heal that bitterness. Where there are those who are ready to walk out the door, keep them. Heal them. Save them. May our homes be like lamps in this dark world. As we see such violence and hatred and darkness around us. May we manifest love because we have learned love at your feet. And our children have learned love at our feet as we teach them your word. May the families here at Trinity Baptist Church and all those who are listening in, may those families be such bright lights set on a hill that they will radiate gospel truth into their communities. And a reformation, a true revival would take place in this land again. Hear us, we plead, because you are able to do exceeding abundantly more than we ask or think according to your power and according to your grace. We ask through Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen.